Mic check, mic check. Where the f is my check? You now tuned in to do rags and boat shoes. turn down what's going on everybody it's your boy a double and you're now tuned in to episode 147 of do rags and boat shoes first show of the new year happy 2019 uh hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, episode 146 and that last g code episode giving you some game to uh be uh complete in the new year you know to build your character up so um nothing new going on over here just a lot of work uh, a lot of work on the podcast um a lot of behind the scenes things and uh working at the first plantation uh so much getting ready for the super bowl and things like that um nothing else too crazy so i guess i will go ahead and start on that good old summer damn jam scream so i guess first things first we need to talk about is what everybody named mama been talking about is this whole surviving r kelly uh fiasco that aired on lifetime uh network thursday friday and saturday of last week so it was two episodes per day had a total of six episodes uh by dream hampton and she had the uh the accusers on there um talking about their accounts with uh robert kelly and then you had people like Torrey on there the music critic um you also had jamila lemieux who was a social so-called social critic uh all i see her doing is tweeting but um and you had the uh you had a few other folks like his brothers were on there talking about what was going on and um he had a a bodyguard slash manager who was there and he was talking about how he uh forged the um birth certificate of Aaliyah so she could get married at 15 to robert uh back when they were married briefly and um and sparkle was on there too uh, one of r kelly's uh artists and um her niece was actually the one that was in that video you know, they were circulating all over the streets on VHS way back in the early 2000s. And uh, that was the reason that he went to a trial for uh, kitty porn. And um, it turned out that, uh, you know, the family, I think they got paid off. And uh, they were pretty much saying that they ain't her in the video at all, which is wild. But anyway, um, so like I said, Lifetime and Dream Hampton, you know, they released a documentary called Surviving R. Kelly. It had accounts from the victims um, and his wife. I forgot to put that his wife was in there, too. You know, it was tough to watch at times. I cannot lie. Um, it was very tough. And the thing that shocked me the most was how the industry just kind of turned a blind eye to this. You know, folks in their documentaries talking about, yeah, I would go in the studio and Kells would be in the booth with a young girl rubbing on her booty. And it's just like, you ain't do nothing, my nigga. Like, you just let that shit slide. And then um, some of these parents, my goodness, 
um, you know, they sold their daughters, you know, for some money, you know, just sold them off for a dream. There was a couple uh, parents on there trying to get their daughter back home. And uh, one of the girl's uh, parents, she was the girl uh, who was on um, TMZ, released a video about, you know, she's not being held hostage against her will and shit like that. But you seen somebody was like coaching her in the background. You can see shadows and shit like that, you know, off of her chest uh, in the video. And uh, so they was trying to, you know, her folks were in there talking about how she got, you know, brainwashed by Kells. And then there was another uh, couple uh, a couple parents who were talking about they uh, went to a R. Kelly show for the dad's birthday and they took their daughter with them and Kells called her up on stage and they let her go and all this other shit. And, you know, and I would think, um, you know, if the father was in the picture, then the shit wouldn't happen. But nope, you know, dumbass daddies, you know, just letting their baby girls, you know, meet the Pied Piper of pedoph- uh, pedophilia. Uh, which was wild to me because I'm just like, man, like that's your baby girl. You know what I'm saying? Um, just I don't understand how you in this 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 last couple parents. I wish I, had, I took, should have took down their names, but fuck it. Um, those parents, uh, you know, who were at the R. Kelly concert for R. R. Kelly <laughs> concert for the daddy. Uh, they were talking about how you know how they were gonna you know be on her watching her close and things like that and he couldn't be alone with her and then uh you know after she was gone for i don't know god knows how long they hacked into uh, her apple account her apple id or whatever so this was well after the trial and things like that and knowing you know what kells is uh, capable of with these young women and they found out that he had sex with the girl that first night that she met him at the concert or when she or she or when she met him you know, for some kind of quote-unquote meeting, uh, you know, get close to her and uh, to see what he could do for her so-called musically and shit like that. So I just, you know, the dad, I think he was the one who kept him 100 and just talking about he feels like less of a man or something like that, or it could have been the other daddy, but this is what happens when you, you know, put a green piece of paper over your child. You know what I'm saying? And I know your kids have dreams and shit like that. Um, but you should have just went that Matthew Knowles route. You know, that Tina Knowles route. Um, there was an article that dropped by the Metro UK. And they were talking to uh, Matthew Knowles about this R. Kelly situation. And he was speaking about that, you know, R. Kelly wanted to meet Destiny's Child when them girls was like 15, 16. This was back in 98 when they first was getting started. And, um... And the record label was really pushing for them to have a song written by R. Kelly uh, for the girls. And uh, they were saying that R. Kelly was telling them that he likes to record late at night and uh, shit like that. And, you know, Matthew knows and Mama Tina wasn't having it. You know, on top of him being super expensive, they just heard rumblings about what was going on with him in the industry and preying on young girls. So they wasn't about to serve up Destiny's Child on a platter to him. And they passed on that. They they pushed back against the label at the time. And Destiny's Child wasn't even big back in the late 90s. So I commend, you know, Tina and Matthew Knowles for, you know, protecting them babies um, at the time. They were babies at the time. So that's that's just how you have to do it as a daddy. And, you know, and you've seen how hard, you know, Matthew and Tina work to get Destiny's Child to be what, what they are today, which is an iconic group. Uh, and then you see just Beyonce is just on icon status right now. Um, so 
you know, that's just wild just seeing those parents even after the trial, after the video, just after the Leah fiasco and all this other shit, they still were putting their children behind a green piece of paper, you know, for a chance to start them and shit like that. Um, you know, so the documentary goes into, you know, Kel's childhood and it was revealed that he was molested by a family member and his brother was too, which turned out to be uh, his older sister. And what a lot of people don't talk about is uh, this was actually on blackdoctor.org uh, last year or back in 2017, I believe. And, you know, in his book, um, they talked about it a little bit on the website, but in his book, Robert talked about a family member uh, or family friend who was a male that tried to pay uh, him, who pay him, Kelly, to play with uh, a, that family friend wanted R. Kelly to play uh, with his dick. And, um, you know, Kelly said in the book that he didn't do it. But, you know, the guy still had his dick out and shit like that and was flashing money at him to come play with it. Um, now, the young girls that uh, moving forward, were the young girls that Robert was violating and is violating, they kind of have a, you know, direct correlation with his sister. You know, they all have a little dusty look to them. You know, they look a little homely, you know, just not that, you know, you know, it's just kind of you know just kind of a little less than average chicks that he'd be dealing with and um and you listen to an expert from a uh, excerpt you know from his book called solar coaster we ain't even gonna get on that goddamn title but all of the chicks really did if you go back and watch that documentary all them chicks just kind of had a little dusty look to them a little dusty around the way girls and it wasn't like the you know the flyest girl in high school or some shit like that it was just kind of low-key dusty but this excerpt from this book tried to kind of explains you know what he was going through with his sister but and i quote he said i tried to push her away but she wouldn't stop until she was finished um when she was she said you better not say shit to no one or, or else you're gonna get a terrible whooping now um Kells was having these women call him these girls and these women calling him daddy because he was uh putting hands on some of them older women too there were some old women uh well older like in their 30s that was fucking with kelly you know uh recently as what like 2015 2014 or some shit like that but um so he was laying down or something it said in the book watching Three's Company or something, and then, you know, his sister came in violating him and shit like that. And the younger brother, uh, there was a clip floating, there is a clip floating around from a radio station, and he's talking about his sister violating him, and uh, she would isolate them, like, you know, so one day she'd be fucking with Robert, next day she'd be fucking with him, but it never was at the same time. It was just, you know, the other, the other brothers would be outside playing, and then she would, you know, punish one of by having them stay in the house and, you know, uh, you know, molesting them and doing all this freaky, weird shit to them. But getting back to this quote, uh, Kelly uh, recounts, I remember it feeling weird. I remember feeling ashamed. I remember closing my eyes or keeping my hands over my eyes. I remember those things, but couldn't judge it one way or the other fully. Over time, I remember actually, after a couple of years, looking forward to it sometimes, you know, actually you know, acting like I didn't, but I, but it did, uh, it became a regular thing every other day, every other week, so just from that excerpt, you know, it seems like Kells is trying to recreate that experience, 
but this time he's the abuser so i think he kind of goes after girls that kind of look like his sister at that age you know so now lifetime um you know aired this all this out and the chicago pd or prosecutor wants people to come forward so they can bring up criminal charges against kelly now that his money is light and you know he can't pay off accusers like he did in the past we all know kells is a dirtbag but my problem with this documentary is i don't want this to turn into a r kelly represents all black men type thing and there was george nelson was on there and he was talking about age ain't nothing but a number and he was talking about that his barber it goes on in the black community at the barbershop black men be talking about oh age ain't nothing but a number i was like what kind of pedo ass barbershop have you ever been to mr nelson uh because i ain't ever heard no shit like that you know what i'm saying i ain't never heard no no og talking about oh man that ain't age ain't nothing but a number you know what i'm saying i'm just like uh what the most i've ever heard when talking about women at the barbershop is like when a fine ass mama come in there you know with her son and getting them a haircut you know and them old niggas be talking about you know that they could you know go ahead and play step pappy to that son just to get close to the mama like shit like that but i ain't never heard nobody talking about some jail bait pussy i ain't never heard nobody talking about aj nothing but a number because that's that's some old backward shit right there so that's what i didn't like seeing and then trying to blame uh black society like you know we were um enabling kells to continue on and do shit like that which is wild because uh when i was speaking before you know now it's cool to call r kelly out on this shit and um the guy from the chicago sun times i forgot the uh editor's name or the writer's name who broke the story back in the early 2000s i think about 2000 or 2001 he was talking about last year he hit up lady gaga and he was asking for a comment about some r kelly allegations and shit like that and uh this was before the documentary was even out and uh because she has a song with r kelly and he was you know she wouldn't get back to him she kept blowing him off and you know had no comment about the situation and it was funny because the guy was on npr I was listening to her early this afternoon and he was saying that now she comes out and releases a statement because there's Oscar buzz around her performance in her latest movie. So now she's trying to distance herself and take that song down off of all streaming services and off of, I guess, future prints of that album that it was on. So that's funny, you know, because it just seems like it's like, oh, shit, let me protect my own self. And then there was a I think a lawyer or a manager coming out and talking about they're done working with R. Kelly and all this other shit is by you've been working with him for years and you've known this. So now all of a sudden that, you know, it's on the main platform and it's getting this Me Too attention and, the, you know, it's getting, you know, it's getting hot in the kitchen. You want to get the fuck on up out of there before you get burned or before, you know, you catch a grease fire or some shit like that, which is very wild. But anyways, um, I just got off on a little tangent right there. I don't like I said, I don't want this to turn into R. Kelly represents all black men because um, we know how the system of racism, white supremacy will weaponize things like this they'll try to blame black culture by saying this is how all black men act um they'll use 
you know, they'll use this as an example to demonize all brothers. You know, you look back at the Don Imus situation when he called those women on the basketball team some nappy-headed hoes. You know, they blame the culture of hip-hop and, and rap music. You know, they deflected from here, from him, and they steered the conversation and attention to rappers. You know, if they, meaning black society, um, you know, won't respect their women, then why should we? You know, that's what I got from that uh, gist with that whole Don Imus bullshit. You know, that's really what they're saying. So brothers and sisters, just be prepared to, you know, for how the dominant society will use this against us. You know, don't fall for deflections when you got your foot on the neck of uh, racism, white supremacy. And as far as healing goes in the black community, you know, we do need to air out pedophiles that we know of and seek professional help, you know, so we'll be able to process uh, the emotions that we're feeling and truly heal from the pain that has been, that has been afflicted upon us. You know, because I see online right now black women and men going back and forth, trying to place first in the oppression Olympics with who gets abused more, little girls or little boys, and who's the abusers, you know, men or women. And, you know, when the fact of the matter is, you know, we have to protect them both, not the pedophiles, but the kids. That's what we really have to just focus on. I see so much intellectual masturbation, all these threads and all this other shit, people trying to get these tweets off. And it's like, you got to think about them babies and protect them babies in your family. That's what you have to do with those in your community, your neighbors, you know, check on them kids next door, you know, across the street, cat a corner to from you. You know, if you ain't got no kids, check on your nieces and nephews, check on your little cousins, you know, just check on the babies and your family. That's what it boils down to. And, um, you know, it was wild. Uh, the brother Torre, the music critic, was on um, that, uh, you know, surviving R. Kelly thing. And Essence just uh, came out with an article um, talking about how <clears throat> he's been accused of sexual harassment uh Torre has he was on a podcast um called the clubhouse with some brother named mouse jones and he was sitting down with uh jamila lemieux and uh and he and the clubhouse with miles jones on instagram posted a photo and this woman named danny um you know posted a, a whole you know long ass comment on there talking about how he was sexually harassing her uh when she worked at um let's see here where did this woman work at because i'm trying to trying to look through here let's see here you know i don't i don't know let's see here worked with him in for most of 2007 2017 she said she left in october before he left um i don't know where it was but it was uh time inc owned the company wherever that they were working at so he was basically you know saying all kind of crash shit to her about if she take it in the ass and uh or she do anal or some shit like that and some some more bullshit talking about her sex life and things like that and then she posted a whole uh the conversations that they had um when he apologized in her dms on instagram so i'll post the link to that that's just wild because torrey has always been you know just kind of a 
you know, uh, kind of been an other when it comes to, uh, you know, black musicians. Like, he was, uh, back in the day, he was, you know, one of those people who was shitting on Pac, um, be, when the rape allegations uh, happened, and then you got this surviving R. Kelly thing, and then remember he interviewed R. Kelly back in 08 uh, about what was going on uh, as far as him liking teenage girls, Kelly that is, and uh, you know, and then he also wrote that book about uh, living in a post-racial society after Obama, and I'm just like, I, I remember I went and grabbed it from the library to read it, and I was just like, are we really in a post-racial society? So I kind of look at him as one of them other blacks. You know what I'm saying? Looking funny in the light. But we'll see how this turns out. I mean, he released a statement um, through his rep. And uh, what did his rep say? Uh, on the show, our team, including myself, engaged in edgy, crass banter that at the time I did not think was offensive for our tight-knit group. I'm sorry for my language and for making her feel uncomfortable in any way. As a lead on the show, I should have refrained from this behavior. I have learned and grown from this experience. And uh, once that happened, uh, I guess um, at when this story broke a few hours ago, I guess um, he was supposed to have an interview with Terry Crews about the whole Me Too situation and being a black male in it. And uh, Terry Crews canceled on his ass. He just, I seen the tweet and he was like canceled. So um, that's one of them things where he's just looking kind of funny in the light. It's one of those, uh, you know, throwing a stone and hiding your hands. But moving on, uh, let's talk about uh, the sister who's been all over social media and is not one of the R. Kelly accusers, but um, Centoya Brown. Uh, this was the, she was sentenced to life in prison for killing a trick. Um, way back in the day early 2000s um uh, early 2000s i think it's about what 2003 this happened 2002 2003 so um this uh young lady she was uh being pimped out by a nigga named cutthroat and uh, she was at a trick house and um the trick had a house full of guns or something like that. And then she was in bed with the trick and she thought that he was reaching for a gun. So she grabbed one first and shot him in the back or she grabbed one quickly and shot him in the back. And then, um, you know, it took some things from the trick's house and, you know, she gave them to her pimp cutthroat and she was sentenced to life and originally el eligible for parole, um, after serving 51 years and so far she served about 15 years and uh she has been a model prisoner she got her ged and an associate's degree and um you know back and they were talking about uh the governor uh bill haslam he granted her clemency so i think in uh later this year she'll be uh out on parole um for i don't know how long for maybe 10 years or some shit like that but at least she'll be free um and uh, they were talking, and uh, the governor was talking about he, he went through, uh, you know, looking at the case and things like that. You had celebrities like Rihanna, Kim, Kim Kardashian, uh, you know, tweeting about this and bringing awareness to it. And there was even a documentary made back in 2011. And uh, in the documentary, it was talking about that she probably suffered from fetal alcohol syndrome because her mama was a heavy alcoholic when she was, uh, you know, she was pregnant with Centoya. But, um, What's wild about this case is uh, what I was getting to is uh, 
the governor was talking about back then you know they were calling her a teenage prostitute and what they know what they learn now about you know sex rings and you know child prostitution and you know child sex slaves uh they want to use that kind of verbiage you know if it happened today because uh, if it happened today he said she would have probably served a lot less time um than what she was originally sentenced so this is pretty much saying that you know we're going to treat this like it's today in this day and age so uh hopefully that sister once she uh gets home um she will continue to be a model citizen um and just continue to grow and i know she wanted to start a non-profit or organization that was going to help kids and the you know that's got uh, uh dumped off in the sex game and things of that sort so i wish her nothing but the best and that's some pretty good news um i know a lot of people was kind of looking at her funny in the light because they read those court transcripts and uh talking about how she shot the trick in the back and things like that and then the uh, prosecution was trying to you know make it look like this was premeditated and shit like that so uh it's good to see that sister come on home uh moving on let's talk about uh kevin hart so Kevin Hart has been on this goddamn apology tour. Talking about he ain't about to apologize for his homophobic remarks from 10 years ago and from the jokes from over 10 years ago. And uh, this nigga been on an apology tour ever since. Okay. And I feel like he's fucking up the bag by going on this goddamn tour. So he was on Ellen. I don't think he fucked it up then. Because uh, Ellen was like, you know, I know you're not that type of person. Yada, yada, yada. So it was... And so he went on there, you know, talking to Ellen. She was like, I think you should take the gig back. You should go ahead and host it. And he's just like, nah, nah. But she's like, no, I'm telling you, you should do it. And uh, and I felt like that was a perfect time for him to go ahead and do it, right? Because here you are talking to the so-called queen of the LGBT community. You know, it's how they treat, it, treat black folks, you know, when they go talk to Al Sharpton or... Uh, <clears throat> jesse jackson i don't know who they could talk to today but they probably i think they still talk to them uh them hand-picked uh negroes thinking that they're the leader of black society so i mean kevin hart pretty much was doing the same thing talking to a gay popular woman and treating her like she's the queen of the gays um and she gave him she gave him her blessing she was just like you i think you really should do it and i thought from that point on i was like kevin you need to take that job secure that bag and go and get your money black man that's what i like to see but he's still he's still not gonna take it so now he's on this big ass apology tour and he was on npr and i heard it just tonight he was on there uh explaining uh and this is this is what's tough okay um he was talking about how he made a bad joke and uh, how people are sensitive uh, nowadays. Now, I wouldn't have went that route if I was Kevin Hart. OK, I would have just told the goddamn truth about, you know, those gay jokes that he was telling. You know, he should have been honest and just told the damn truth. And, you know, how black society has issues with homosexuality due to their children becoming a double minority. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you you know, black kids. So as you look at it like this as a black parent, you already catching hell as a black male or a female. Now you're going to catch even more hell for being gay or, you know, being lesbian, gay, bi, you know, trans, queer, you know, anything other than straight. You just going to catch some goddamn hell. So why are you going to put that on yourself? So that's what the parent is thinking, because you already the world is going to just get 10 times tougher 
once you become an adult black male adult black female but now you're you're a gay black female or black gay male and now it's just like fuck you a double minority so now you about to catch you know besides dealing with racism white supremacy you're gonna have to deal with homophobia now so that's the thinking in black society and um and that's what that's what i would have said when he's talking about the joke about you know his son playing with his daughter's barbie you know you just have to be honest and you know what was interesting in this interview on npr um Kevin said to the NPR interviewer, you know, would you still have this same reaction to a female comic saying the same things? And she said, she said, what do you mean? He's like, no, saying the exact same thing that the male said, you know, like I said. And then she was like, oh, like Sarah Silverman? Uh, she says offensive things, but she puts a spin on it when you know she's making fun of bigots. And I was like, oh, I just found that interesting. She didn't say like making fun of bigots, but she was talking about, you know, it's satire. You know that she really doesn't mean saying these racial things or these really sexist things. You know that she's just being, it's just satirical or something. She says something like that. And I found that very interesting because you know people brought up some of sarah's old tweets along with amy schumer's using homophobic slurs back when kevin hart was catching hell a few weeks back you know so i took it as you know nigga stay in your place keep skinning and grinning be the black sidekick and don't you dare offend good white folks so she's grilling him about these homophobic questions about, oh, how did you grow up? You know, your dad smacked you in the back of the head at your mama's funeral and told you to stop being a bitch and uh, stuff like that. She's trying to like psychoanalyze him. And I just thought it was just amazing because she's going through all these lengths and shit like that because she can empathize with uh, the LGBTQIA, I should say LGBTQIA um uh, community because you know there are white gay folks out there you see what I'm saying and she could identify with Sarah Silverman because she's a white woman and she's a white woman also you see what I'm saying she can uh, empathize with that but she don't understand Kevin Hart making gay jokes you know what I'm saying saying something like that's gay she couldn't understand that because she just couldn't put herself into like black culture and things like that she just couldn't put herself into a black person's shoes I just found that amazing that she had this uh, excuse for Sarah Silverman because Sarah Silverman can put a satirical spin on it but when Kevin Hart says it, it's just offensive and I'm like, OK, you looking funny in the light right now, interviewer. And I don't know the woman's name, but it's uh, the NPR show that comes on late at night before. It was probably about seven, eight o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock that this show was on. So I just found that very, very, very interesting. And like I said before, you can always, you know, white folks can always, um, you know, they can always fight and, uh, you know, fight for gay rights and things like that because they'll have a, you know, they had a gay daddy, an uncle, a brother, a cousin, or, you know, a grandma or, you know, a auntie or some shit like that. So they can identify that. But as far as black folks dealing with racism and white supremacy, it's just like, nah, fuck out of here. Like she couldn't, she, she just had so much trouble trying to see it from Kevin's point of view. But Kevin was out here just explaining from a, from a, a point of like a c comic, you know, he was trying to bring in 
uh, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, you know, telling offensive jokes and things like that. And I seen where he was coming from, but he should have just told the damn truth. You know, he should just told the truth like, hey, you know, it's just going to be so much harder on a little black boy, you know, becoming a black male who's gay. So now he's like a double minority. So he's about to catch hell from racism, white supremacy. And he's about to catch hell from, you know, homophobic people dealing with homophobia left and right. So that's what he should have did. He should have just kept it a buck instead of trying to trying to explain and you know tiptoe on the fence and talk about how people are so sensitive and shit like that no just tell the goddamn truth and he should have called out that interviewer when she said she could uh she gets uh sarah silverman's humor because sarah silverman is very crass and it's very dark a lot of times and it's very dry but she could understand that she couldn't understand kevin hart's uh gay joke about his son which was you know very funny so he should have kind of pinned her on that pushed back very hard on that and i feel like i should be a goddamn um common sense advisor to a lot of these stars but what the fuck do i know because we've been talking on a summer jam screen for damn near 33 minutes so i'm gonna leave it to my man hove hove what you gotta say don't be the next contestant on that summer jam screen i smoke rocks i smoke rocks all right thank you so much tyrone biggums for that lovely intro of selling hope like dope so selling hope like dope we have to um give it uh to the so-called um people who always hooting and hollering about how in the black community that black gay lives don't matter uh, only straight black males lives matter and all this other shit uh because we're you see a lot of straight black folks you know making noise online and in the real world about um these deaths that's going on at this uh, democratic donor's house named ed buck um, now you've seen uh, with the start of the Black Lives Matter movement, even though it was started by some some women, some lesbian women at that, uh, that uh, you had a whole bunch of gay brothers and sisters coming out talking about, you know, what about these trans lives being killed and all this other shit. And uh, they love to say that the black community don't care about them and all this other shit. Well, the black community is up is an uproar about these deaths that's happening at this Democratic donor's uh, apartment, Ed Buck. Now, who the fuck is Ed Buck? Um, this is some uh, white man who's donated a lot of money to the Democratic Party. Uh, it says here on Wikipedia that uh, he made his money. He bought something, something called Gopher Courier for $250,000, and then he... Uh, became a millionaire uh, upon selling that business that he purchased um, he started off his career as a fashion model and he did some acting in commercials and movies and then uh, he started uh, you know donating to the Democratic Party uh, after he faced some issues in uh, Arizona he led a campaign to uh, impeach the uh, governor uh, of Arizona then uh, Evan Meacham back in 87 and um, you know before um yeah so he's pretty much just been some heavy donor just kind of chilling living on that money but what he's doing is he's preying on poor black men um so basically what he'll do is uh find them on some gay website uh or app called uh let me see what's the name of it um adam for adam and um pretty much have them come over 
put on some weird clothes and then he'll uh you know they do some kind of sexual deviant acts or something like that and uh you know then he'll try to shoot them up with methamphetamine uh like straight up meth and uh and he's only paying these brothers like 200 dollars um let me see here let me pull up this article so there's a great article on uh, the daily mail tv with a What's this brother's name? Jermaine uh, Gagnon. He was talking to uh, the Daily Mail and he was talking about how he nearly, uh, you know, escaped death when uh, he was at Ed Buck's apartment and he injected him with uh, crystal meth. And then uh, he said that Buck, you know, paid him to fly, uh, flew him, flewed, uh, flewed him <laughs> from Minnesota to L.A. And then... Um, at first he gave him something that was dissolving some gatorade uh, like a, a bill cosby cocktail or some shit like that had him feeling woozy and shit like that and then he injected him with crystal meth um there's a bunch of photos on there some of them are disturbing um and they have sex on a mattress on the floor um you know he said that he has a bunch of sex toys there um, and he had him dressing in some, and I quote, uh, he said he gave him some Tommy Hilfiger tidy whiteies, a muscle t-shirt, some long johns with white knee-high socks. And then uh, he's been offering him spiked drinks. Uh, he said that he, and I quote, he took my phone. I was so scared. I felt death walked into my soul. I called my mother. I said, I feel like he's going to kill me. I'm going to die. Um, but so a second brother has died in a buck's home and this is a, the account of a brother who actually survived um that J jermaine uh, Gagnon, the, the first brother that died there um what was his name jim o'more and then uh the next brother that died in there is timothy dean and uh he's shooting these guys up with just straight up meth now he he they they said there wasn't enough evidence to charge him in the first crime and then so a sister a uh, what's this woman's name uh jasmine canick she uh tweeted out if, if if there's another dead black man in buck's apartment found dead and she tweeted this back in july she was saying she could you can blame the la county sheriff for that for letting him get away with it and she has a uh, some articles on her website which is at jasminecanick.com uh, and that's uh, i'll have a link in the bio and that's canick c-a-n-i-c-k she's a so-called social critic and she's a political commentator and she has some photos uh on her um website from some gay men uh at the apartment uh it's one brother standing up wearing like dog tags and he's in some some tidy whiteies and a and a wife beater and it looks like ed buck is passed out on the couch or some shit like that um yeah and they said that he has this red toolbox that has a bunch of shit in it and he uh pulls out a bunch of uh like sex toys and then he starts talking about um he starts you know asking them if they want to be injected with meth uh which is fucked up so these men are od and that first man that jim Moore, he actually told his you know his friends and family that uh, buck got him hooked on meth when he injected him um let's see here 
And then, uh, so Ed Buck's name been going around in gay circles, I guess, for years. You know, this is a trick. You know, it's easy to get some money from him, from him or some shit. It's just like you go over there, get, you know, two, three hundred dollars for the night, and then you on your fucking way. Um, and on this Jasmine Canick website, she actually has some brother named Blake telling his story. And uh, let's see here. I'll read it out for y'all. He said Ed Buck's name was first brought to Blake's attention while he was in jail for a short, short stint for fraud. And this is a direct quote from him. He said, I ended up getting arrested and going to jail for fraud around 2014. Somebody told me about Ed Buck just randomly. Uh, they said, oh, he'd be good for you. I'm like, OK, what's that supposed to mean? I'm thinking they're just being messy. And they were like, no, you're going to meet him. I bet you meet him. I know the person from Hollywood, you know, like being around Santa Monica Boulevard. All right. So that's a direct quote. And it said it wasn't too much later that Blake said he had a chance meeting with who turned out to be Ed Buck on Santa Monica Boulevard near a porn store. So and I looked this up. This is what uh, uh, a lot of gay men call cruising. They go around to porn stores and shit like that and uh, be looking for, uh, I guess, uh, down low men and other gay men and shit like that for random hookups and shit like that. Um, let's see here, it says, meeting Buck, I met him like just walking Santa Monica Boulevard, uh, like, cause I was actually trying to sell dope or do whatever, sell drugs, do what I had to do, you know, to keep that room, I didn't care. Uh, it was like a little porno place. He continues a little place, a little a movie little porno place. And he walked up, you know, he's checking and he's looking, checked me out, got in his car. He was real like suspicious. You could tell he was like intoxicated because uh, I knew he would be be a for sure. I didn't know his name was Ed Buck. I didn't know that was him. And uh, Blake, who was 30 years old, said that on his first meeting with the wealthy L.A. Democratic donor, they sat in his car negotiating. He says that Buck asked him if he did crystal meth and was interested in PNP. Um, he says PNP is shorty, short for uh, party and play among gay men. Party refers to drug use, most often meth. Oh, shit. And play refers to sex. Blake says that he told Buck that he tried smoking meth a year before he met him, but had never used needles. He said, I tried, I tried it smoking crystal meth and then I stopped because I tried it that day and I was going for like a weekend in my mind to me. So I was like, okay, I can't do that. I can't smoke that no more. I can say no, I can say no. With Buck, I started again. Blake would go on to say that it was the chance encounter with Ed Buck that started him down the road of crystal meth addiction. Uh, when asked about his first time with Buck and if it included doing meth, Blake emphatically replied, oh, hell yeah, that's the main thing. There's no sex involved. That's why I liked it. Oh, wow. So he ain't even having sex with these dudes. He's just, he's just shooting meth with them. What the fuck? And by like, he made it clear he meant the prices. But Ed Buck agreed to, he didn't have to have sex. When uh, reflecting on what Ed Buck would pay him, Blake's mood changes instantly and he starts to look around the sparsely crowded restaurant we're sitting in. He says, I don't want nobody to hear us. I, I reassure him that no one is paying attention to us and that the music playing in the restaurant will ensure that our conversation was private. When we turn back to the topic of payment, appearing to be hurt, Blake looks down at his food and says that he heard now that he was getting less money from Ed Buck than others. Mm. And it was kind of bothering me because I'm like, you have all this money that you're giving to dogs and fur and Hillary Clinton and all this other stuff. 
Ed Buck is a longtime animal rights activist and contributor to uh, Democratic causes and candidates. In 2015, Buck donated $2,700 to Hillary Clinton's campaign for president and another $2,500 in 2016. He had a reputation for making generous donations to the California and L.A. County Democratic Party and served as chair of Stonewall Democratic Club's Public Affairs Committee. He said, when you uh, buck out here getting these black kids, black only kids off the street that are out there trying uh, because they have nowhere else to go. They are so they are willing to do whatever they can to survive. Blake says his first time with Ed Buck, he was offered three hundred dollars for three hours. When I asked him what Buck wanted to do, he replied, smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke. And then there's a text message from uh, Buck to uh, Blake and it says I was out thrift store shopping and I thought of you and I thought damn it that would be so perfect getting high with you and going out shopping for shit like and coming back here and showing off just let you know I'm thinking about you hope you're doing well and then he goes on to there's another quote he said and he wants to smoke too he wants to shoot up and he wants to do shots inside your penis uh, so you can stay hard he gives you Viagra's uh, oh, you had to do these things. This was like part of it. You had to take two Viagras because it makes your heart go fast. Um, a Cialis, um, but you had to be smoking. You had to be getting steadily high. That was it, period. Oh, yeah, and show off, take off your clothes and put on certain underwears. Uh, he had a very big underwear fetish, and it was kind of nasty uh, because I don't know which one, uh, who wore this and who wore that because there was so much traffic over there. I was like, ew, um, I need new stuff. I don't know what you thought this was. I don't know what's going on. You got clothes all over your floor in the living room. You got the door barricaded so nobody, nobody can get in. And you chained up the kitchen. Jesus. Blake confirms other victims' accounts of Ed Buck owning a red craftsman toolbox. He says that the red toolbox is, toolbox is where everything is at. Uh, when asked what he meant, he, by everything, Blake replied, the drugs, heroin, yep, cocaine, yep, meth, yep, weed, yep, pipes, needles, all of that, everything you needed, anything you do, like you had to be really strong. Then he had, when you walked in, this red light. I think I gave you a picture with the wife beater on with the red light in the background. He calls that the gates of hell. Fuck that shit. This dude is sadistic. That is crazy. Alright, so continue on in this article. It says, Blake's attitude immediately changes when he begins to explain how Ed Buck would often call him a nigger. Imitating Buck's voice, Blake said, my nigger buddy, my straight nigger buddy. Bitch, what did you just call me, I said? What'd you just say? Watch your mouth. Back in his impression, Buck, Buck, Blake said, this is my house. I do what I want. Very irate, like he's very hostile. His voice, like he has Tourette's or something. Blake, who has been dealing with Buck off and on since 2014 all the way up to as recently as July 2nd. This was an article uh, last year in 2018 uh, of this year. says that Buck gets too high. I sent him a message on my Apple Watch describing what it means to be too high because I just wanted him to understand he gets too high. He gets way too high. He'd be up for days. Blake says that Buck has friends to come over and shoot meth into his neck for him. He has friends come over and shoot him, shoot him up in his neck. Blake talks about Buck's friend Steve, who lives in the same apartment building. 
Uh, that's his uh, Buck's buddy. Uh, every time there's an issue or problem with the cops, he's always running to Steve. I heard that he's not fond of me. On at least one occasion, Blake recalls going with Ed Buck downtown to LA, going to downtown LA to pick up other black men. That's the ones that wanted to do crack, and I don't do that at all. He continued, um, it was downtown area like Alvarado near the park. The girl, he go down there and see if there's any black guys over there. Then he go downtown, cross downtown. He went to Skid Row. He already knew this one dude that he called his crack baby. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is crazy. And he riding around looking for his friend and he found him eventually so he can get some more stuff. And I'm like, damn, I don't want to be out here. I've been smoking, but we end up picking him up, dropping somebody else off. And basically I was like, put out the picture really because I wasn't smoking or nothing. I just was, I was just ready to go. Like another victim of Ed Buck's recounted, Blake says the, that Buck injected him with meth. My arm was red. When I woke up, I thought he was doing that to me. But the other dude was over there high too, so I didn't know what was going on. It wasn't really painful, but like the whole day though, I was like, what's wrong with my arm? Why is it not, not working? It's tripping. And I was like, that for like, I just laid in the bed and went through this little episode sweating at night and didn't know what was going on. So I went to the ambulance, called the ambulance, come pick me up. Blake says the ambulance picked him up uh, from now the close, what is now the closed Grand Motel in the Pico Robertson area and took him to uh, Cedar Sinai Hospital where he said Ed Buck came to visit him. He called my phone and I was there. Hi, what's up? I'm in the hospital. I think it's because of something you gave me. In his impression of Ed Buck, Blake said Buck replied, I'm going to come see you. Are you sure? The second time, he says Buck injected him with crystal meth. He said Buck offered him some money to do it, and Blake admits he agreed to it. I was fine that time. I was really at a low point. I was living from motel to motel, getting kicked out, staying with trannies. I didn't have to stay there, meaning Buck's apartment, that long as, as long as I shoot up meth, I took the deal. Blake says he was paid 500 bucks by Buck to shoot some meth. And that money went so fast because I was high. That's fucked up. Blake says that on more than one occasion, the police were called. And I was in front of his house and I wouldn't leave. And so the so then the cop took me down the hill to 7-Eleven because I tried to explain to him what was going on because he, meaning Buck, had all my stuff in his, inside of his garage. I had left some stuff there because I couldn't pay for my hotel room. Uh, Blake says he asked Buck for money to pay for a, hope for a motel. Buck said rather than do that, uh, Blake just come. Blake could just come to his apartment and get money for doing drugs with him. Blake says uh, Buck put his bags in his carport, but then told him he had to leave because he forgot he had a masseuse coming over and to come back in an hour. Blake said he went to Starbucks. I was trying not to be walking on Santa Monica Boulevard like a prostitute. After three hours, Blake went back. Uh, he says, so I went back to the to the place and acted a fool because he wouldn't let me come up at all. He wouldn't let me get my stuff. He wouldn't come out. Matter of fact, he sent me some he sent some boy out to tell me to move or, or he gonna beat me up. It was like crazy. He had somebody else over there too, and I was like, dog, my stuff is inside your garage. Just let me get my stuff. So he called the cops. He actually left the place through the garage, and I'm in front of his door at the gate where you walk in. So I see his car just drive by, a gray Acura old car, like 2004 or something. And I'm just like, really? I call him, no answer. I keep calling, no answer. So eventually I just got the hint. All of a sudden, the cops, I was just sitting right there. 
uh, like I'm getting my stuff. My laptop's in there for school, so I'm going to get my stuff. Cops came and had some stuff, some drugs on me, so I got arrested. Blake says that he never went to the police of anything about anything Ed Buck did to him. Said I was homeless and I needed the money. At times, I felt that he was the only, like, he was a reliable client. But he always, we always argued, we always fought. I never got the money that he promised me. He ordered me uh, materials that I needed for school and I can't afford to go to school. I'm over there, like, trying to hustle up uh, money to go to school. He was really mean, a mean person. Blake said that Buck would call him nigger or, and black boy make him wear leather and dirty clothes. Uh, there's another text message. Um... Uh, from uh, Buck to Blake and he was talking about I'm way foobar and foobar means fucked up beyond any recognition uh, let's see here he said the minute you get there Buck, want, Buck's want, Buck wants you to start smoking and he gives you different things he, what, he wants uh, to see you in then I got bored then I get bored and be like take a picture or something I'm tired of looking at these pornos I'm just tired I'm ready to go home I'll turn, on, turn the light off Cause he has the light full blasting can't listen to no music can't do nothing like to come down he give you gatorade yeah he's a vegan so that's the only food he has in the house so you had to eat that vegan food if he was hungry which nobody would do because i don't know what kind of diet that is he had gatorade and popsicles i guess that's what's helping us i guess that was helping us I was there eight hours before and only got $100. He promised me he'd help me with my tuition for school. He'd help me get my phone. Blake on several times says Buck didn't pay him or give him the money they agreed to. He injected me with steroids. I think it was steroids just so I could grow weight. He said I was getting too skinny. Uh, Blake says that while he, he was asleep, Ed Buck put cock rings on him. Cock rings are... Rings worn around a penis, usually at the base, according to Wikipedia. The primary purpose of wearing a cock ring is to restrict the blood flow from the erect penis in order to produce a stronger erection and to maintain an erection for a long time. Oh, and he likes to tie our balls when we passed out or something with cock rings, big old cock rings, black little, I don't know, uh, I don't want that thing on, I don't want that thing, I don't want that on my thing thing, like who else been wearing it? Blake provided numerous photos of himself inside of Ed Buck's apartment. In one photo, Ed Buck appears to be blowing smoke while seated next to Blake. Explaining to me about the photo, Blake says, Okay, this is the last time I was over there. I just can't take it no more. You see, I put on full clothes. He wanted me to dress up, so I put on some fucking boots that he wanted me to wear. Those are my underwear. The thermos, those are his. Um, and I'm looking at my phone, really, and he's nosy, so he wants to look at my phone as well and see what I'm doing and why I'm not paying attention to him yeah, that shit wild yeah and there's a photo too um let's see here um, Blake continued he has a skin disease so like when you see his skin he has like patches on his body and you'd be like you then you then he wears so, so much cock rings on his thing thing he got bumps and shit nobody touches there's no sex involved really more or less no sex but you just still got to watch porn with him still got to get high i mean getting high that's it i'm serious taking pictures he even watch while you're taking a dump stupid shit like that's how how paranoid he is that's that's crazy this whole story's crazy um let's see here it says he has a lot of money he has so much money 
only gives me 100, 300, I'd be there for the longest, like I don't understand, I really, really don't understand, he has choked me, he has kept my stuff hostage, uh, he went out to eat, and he was mad because I didn't want to go shopping for underwear because I'm tired of wearing the same shit, if you're going to take me shopping, take me shopping where I want clothes I would like, not buying white underwear. Got mad and made this big old scene in front of the security, and he had my bag in his car and would not refuse to give me my bag. I asked Blake to expand on Buck choking me. He said I wouldn't leave his house, and he choked me so he could get me out of the house, and when he choked me, I just left. Uh, Blake says that Buck always uh, put him out while he was high. So when you walking down Hollywood or Santa Monica fucking Boulevard, sorry you'll get uh, you'll get uh, caught up by the cops and they mess with you badly, especially when they have sweeps. So that's very intentional right there. This ain't in the article of him putting these men out while they're high, just so they can't be talking about you know having a uh, a uh, a clear mind to recount what's actually going on in this man's apartment. So that's very very calculated right there and low down and dirty right there this is some sick shit it says uh today blake is trying to get his life together besides working on his mental and physical health blake has hopes of returning to college and studying music he says that he hasn't seen ed bucking over a month that's good for him and is uh devastated about the news of uh jim o'moore's death in buck's apartment and was convinced by his friends to come forward and share his story after hearing buck's attorney seymour amster portray his client as a good friend of moore's and a kind-hearted man who helps troubled young men this is crazy boy and then there's an ad um his ad on uh adam for adam she actually got a screenshot of this and it says um 60 year old six foot 175 uh leather ethnicity white out um smoke no drink occasionally my place uh he says i can float in the something straddle clouds for an eternity uh sometimes uh launching in a pointed way i've got a huge underwear sports gear mirror cock ring bulge vac pumps fetishes nothing going on here my butt your butt any butt is unappealing uh, I love verbal, filthy mouth, visuals, lots of mirrors, blacks, and he has like all these plus signs, so he really likes blacks. Uh, you be in love with your blankety blank, cock slanging, and showing off your blank inch in my cock into masculine, slender, skinny men who realize it's not about an eight inch dick, it's you as a six foot blank. And I guess he means six foot nigger, I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Um, another quote from this guy, Blake, he says, and he lies to you and tell you like, oh, I don't know what in the article. Oh, Jimmo um, was in the room when he did what he was doing, so he doesn't know. Buck doesn't know. No, nigga, you knew what Jimmo was doing. You was doing it with him because obviously you were in the same room. You're not going to take your eye off that person. That's not you, so stop lying. You have mirrors set up so you can see what's going on while you even in the bathroom so you can still look through the mirrors and see what's going on that's why you place mirrors like that so that's crazy because he was playing stupid in that death of that Jim O'Moore that is just wild so I'm gonna link y'all to this article and she has a couple more this woman is like going to war with Ed Buck but I don't want to come down hard on my you know my my LGBTQ brothers and sisters I just want y'all to know 
that like I said many a times before your blackness comes before anything that is your uniform in this system of racism white supremacy so stop putting others first stop putting your sexuality first and I'm not saying that to shun you guys in the closet because you can be you know gay lesbian you know trans bisexual queer all day until the cows come home but you have to realize that you black first and that's how these 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 uh bigots see you these suspected white supremacists and these flat out white supremacists see you and i just want you to know that the black community does love you and we do ride for you that's just what i want you to know so just please be safe out there and just stop engaging in like this kind of gutter sex with these type of men you know be with somebody that's gonna love you and stop you know if you know anybody out there that's doing some shit like that start snitching on them you know shooting you up with meth um you know got a fucking toolbox full of drugs getting you high and shit and it ain't even about sex that's what's even crazier to me he don't even have you you know y'all ain't even doing nothing together he got these these black men out here just shooting meth and then injecting them you know with meth and other shit just injecting them with god knows with what and giving them a hundred to three hundred dollars so um you know i just want my gay brothers and sisters just to be safe out there and to realize that you just because you're listed as you know a different sexuality other than say uh than straight you ain't safe in this system of racism white supremacy that's what i really want you to get through your mind and just put that on your heart and just realize that your blackness is the uniform that you wear in this system of racism white supremacy and you can't escape it i don't care how many white men or white women that you sleep with or transgender white men and women that you deal with it, it ain't gonna change your blackness okay and i'm gonna tell you from the bottom of my heart the black community loves you and we ride for you you know that this portion of do rags and boat shoes has been brought to you by the letter l as in hey yo my guy my hands are full give me a hand here can you hold this l all right so moving on to holding this l we have to give it to this young man who think that who thought that when he released a song that he was going to uh stop racism altogether uh but as we know racism is more than just name calling it's an actual system it's it's bigotry it's well it's a system it's prejudice plus power that's what racism is that's all it is prejudice plus power equals racism and we're living in a system of racism white supremacy and you know the color hierarchy how it goes white yellow red brown black right top to bottom so this young man um what is this what's this negro's name let me see here leek avelli decided to uh drop a song and he called it let the white kids say nigga and uh he thinks that he's solving racism by having this song play uh i guess uh i'll have it playing in the background let's see here here we go he has do-rags in here white folks wearing do-rags and some mo shit um and he's draped in the uh the uh stars and bars flag the confederate flag and towards the end of the video he uh starts stepping on it and uh, moonwalking on it but it's just silly as fuck because in his mind racism is just name calling that's what it is and if you look at his uh his twitter account well here's it it's playing right now in the background here you say nigga. Hey. 
kids say nigga. Yeah. They probably gon' say it anyway. White. They already say it every day. Yeah. White girls I ain't trippin', boo. White man be my nigga too. I don't fight hate with hate. No. Keep the hate out. And I'll have a link to the uh the YouTube video um in the show notes. But this is this this the type of shit. This is why you know we won't replace the system of racism white supremacy with a system of justice because of niggas like this and i <laughs> uh like i said this young man's confused he thinks that racism is just name calling and he even says on his twitter account that white folks can say the the n-word um just without the hard r and use it at their own discretion um, I'm gonna tell white people right now, uh, this is not a green light to run around saying nigga, uh, because somebody gonna knock you the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? It might not be one of these, uh, these young little, uh, sharp lineup nappy head niggas, but you know, a motherfucker, uh, 29 and up, you know, you gonna feel the, uh, the spirit of, uh, Ogun when uh you you think you being cute trying to say that shit and think you got a pass from this uh this young nigglet out here right now and um but on a serious note and that was pretty serious uh this is why uh we can't get rid of the system of racism white supremacy because of willing participants like this he thinks that he's out here changing the world by doing some shit like this and and it's solving racism by saying that white people can say nigga because i guess it's a privilege i get i think that's the only black privilege if you want to say that is a privilege that black folks have is saying nigga and white folks can't say it because we made it cool i mean if that's the case i would i would give away that black privilege and switch it for white privilege at the drop of a hat I mean, we can we could do a we could do a trade. You can go ahead and say nigga all day until the cows come home, and you know black folks can own and control over ninety percent of the wealth and resources globally. I'd, I'd be happy with that. I'd be fine with that. Cause then you have the power to have them stop saying it. <laughs> this is just wild though but just actually thinking of it you know you just have people who have this fucked up ass thought process and uh they don't actually study um white supremacists at all and i was listening to uh um with uh champagne sharks with um t and d mills and uh they were talking about slave play and then they were talking about uh, that 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 play that's being played out in New York that just makes a mockery of slavery and has it as like race play fetish and shit like that. It's a very good episode, two part episode. They made the premium episode available for everybody to listen to, which is very important. And um, and I and I I took away a lot of good notes from that. And um, and it's just and it reminded me of the the writer of this you know that slave play making a mockery of that you know i don't think he's a dumb young man i think he knew what he was doing but it's just shit like that making a mockery of history making a mockery of the n-word is just why we won't be able to move forward and have the healing begin so we can actually be one human race like a lot of coons like to say um because you have people who ride and put their foots on the neck of racism white supremacy and want to attack it head on 
and then you just have other folks that's just kind of like oh i just want to be able to kick it with white folks uh, and uh just have this underlying tension there but long as you don't say nothing i won't say nothing so it's all good and it's just that's bad for your spirit you know we have to air out the, the wrongs that was committed against you know descendants of slaves and you can't just make a mockery of you know shit like the n-word and uh slavery the problem is uh with letting white people say nigga is it just it's too painful it's just something about it hearing a white person say i don't care if i'm watching a fucking movie like a tarantino movie and i just see it being said even if it's you know some wigger trying to be cool as fuck it just brings up that pain and you just i don't know what it is i think it's just the connection with the ancestors that a lot of us have it's just so much pain and you just want to fuck some shit up it just it's one of those things where it just takes you off to the deep end because you know how the system of racism white supremacy how it manifested and how it started off with you know the slave trade you know first slaves got here fucking 400 years ago 1619 is when they arrived on the coast and uh so 1619 to here and we're still dealing with issues up until this day with police brutality and you know even as far as those home loans was going on so you have everything from slavery up until to to this day and the the prejudice and power equals racism and it's one of those things where you about to get a lot of people fucked up out here who think it's cute and funny to be running around here saying nigga and that's actually and you think that you solve racism but you don't have some people getting a lot of 400 years of oppression and and a right hook to somebody's jaw who out here trying to be cute and funny and think that this okay to have that green light so uh leek uh you gonna have to hold this l it's a big one and any white person who thinks that this is a gatekeeper of black society and who solved racism by giving you a, a, a so-called pass to say nigga you gotta hold this l too and you will get the shit beat out of you or you might get your throat cut or your face uh bashed in is something gonna happen to you if you out here trying to be cute like i said with people 29 and up you know them little young niggas might let that shit slide but yo bro you chill you wildin bro you know because they scared but Somebody else gonna, gonna give you these fists. Or if it's a lady, you might catch a razor to the cheek. You know, you might have a couple of, you might get catch a buck 50. You might get a bunch of stitches. So, you know what? Don't do it. Be safe. And, uh, you know, just continue to say the N-word amongst your own kind of people. All right? Anyways, hold the cell. You win. Perfect. All right, so moving on to Not All Heroes Wear Capes. We have to give it to the brother uh, Wesley Bell, who's now St. Louis County prosecutor. Um, he fired a few uh, attorneys, and one of them was responsible uh, for the Mike Brown case down there in Ferguson, um, who presented evidence in the Michael Brown case, and, you know, it failed to get a conviction, you know, against, um, uh, what's that? piece of shit cop name down there um man it is slipping my mind right now i am out here tripping tripping it was goddamn uh darren wilson i'm up here tripping but uh i say not all heroes wear capes uh because he promised to uh basically take away the cash to 
reform the cash bail system, which uh, keeps a lot of people in jail. And he's just keeping good on his word to actually, you know, produce justice. And this was less than 24 hours after taking his oath uh, in the first week of January. He, uh, he let some folks go. One of them was a prosecutor named Kathy uh, Alizadeh gave her a, a bail gave her a two-page letter explaining the reasons for her termination and now on this fox uh fox 2 now st louis uh she wouldn't tell them the reasons and um she said at the start started started the day she ran into him in the hallway and shook his hand and then uh, that was minutes before she received that termination letter and it says she worked in the prosecutor's office since may of 98 and uh yeah so yeah got her up out the paint and got two other folks up out the paint and that's what it's about cleaning the house making it do what it do i mean this is what you like to see when uh people fail to produce results when it comes to uh justice you got to get them on up out the paint and the people of uh ferguson you know elected this uh this brother and they were hoping to seek some justice and that's what's happening he's cleaning house but let's see how how it goes moving forward because uh, those people in ferguson have been through a lot and uh, i wish them nothing but best and i wish this brother um Mr. Bell, Mr. Uh, Wesley Bell, nothing but the best. Not all heroes wear capes. Some of them are prosecutors who, you know, will stand up uh, and produce justice. All right. So moving on to the last segment of the show, health over wealth. You know what I say. Without your health, you cannot enjoy your wealth. So this quote, we starting off the new year. I know it's a little tough for folks out there uh, recovering from them credit card payments, you know, for them from the holidays and shit like that. Shit, I'm one of them people myself, you know, paying uh, paying an extra, you know, hundred, two hundred dollars, you know, on my credit card payment and shit, trying to get that down. Uh, so it's, it's it's a little bit of a bind for everybody out here, and especially my federal workers who are dealing with the government shutdown. Uh, so this quote comes from uh, Dave Ramsey. All right, it says, "Financial peace isn't the acquisition of stuff; it's learning to live on less than you make, so you can give money back and have money to invest." can't win until you do this now i'm learning this right now trying to you know live below my means our means me and a wife and um i'm reading all these articles about you know uh, federal workers um you know working and not getting a paycheck this past friday uh, a couple days ago uh, yesterday i should say it was the first paycheck they got that was zero dollars now you telling me that they went through all this trouble to pay somebody to print this ink and type up these uh documents just to say that you got zero dollars and i was listening to npr thursday night and they had a goddamn expert on uh, a financial employment expert talking about how does not being paid on the job affect workers abilities to do their jobs i was like motherfucker you serious they really had somebody on talking about how does it affect people when you working and you don't get paid for the work that you do uh that was very interesting they were like well work productivity does seem to take a decline when workers know that they will not be receiving a paycheck <laughs> i'm just like bitch anybody on the street could have told you that okay and uh so i i gave y'all some side hustles before way way back shit over a hundred episodes ago on how to get some game and uh you know and flip a couple things and make a few dollars and uh what y'all need to do if you're not out there living below your means is 
you know what don't do no shit like throwing up a gofundme or an indiegogo because that money takes too long to get to you so what you can do you can take some take back some of them christmas gifts that you done got you know maybe get you a, a goddamn gift card flip you can sell that gift card there's websites where you can sell the gift cards and they'll actually give you like a visa gift card so you can buy some food and groceries and things like that you also can take some of them electronics to the pawn shop the pawn shop be popping at this time of the year handing out more money than uh than they usually do because they get so much good shit in and they're selling so much shit they sold so much shit you know towards the uh, end of the year during the holiday season a lot of people be getting gifts from the pawn shop but don't even be knowing it that they getting it and uh so you got the pawn shop you got uh you know gift card flipping you can do that um there's shit on ebay you can do but uh like like you could hit a this is if you have a little bit of money um you know you go to a thrift store buy some shit flip it on ebay but the only thing that sucks about ebay is them taking that goddamn what is it nine percent or almost ten percent uh fee from you and then it goes into your paypal and then you you know you have to transfer the money from your paypal to your bank account and depending on what kind of bank you got it could take a couple days so instead of doing some shit like that you could go donate some plasma you know that's you know 40 you know 30 to 40 bucks right then and there so you can you know have some put some gas in your car get you something to eat hopefully you ain't got no kids if you're out here like that um because you should have been putting some money away but if you didn't i ain't here to shame you hopefully this is just a lesson and i hope uh these federal employees some of them voted for this man that put them in this position which is some fucked up shit and i know that you probably still gonna vote for him again in 2020 if that happens if he's not in jail by then um let's see what else um oh and as far as utilities goes i don't want y'all freaking out i know we're on what day 22 or 23 of the um of the shutdown the government shutdown um but if you paid your bills last month paid them all up uh you know let them, them they ain't gonna shut shit off until you know it doubles up and then that's when you try to get an extension like your light bill or some shit like that they'll send you a shut off notice once you're going on that second month so you got to know how to game the system you got to let them know hey can i get an extension or something that i extend well yeah just let them know can i get an extension nothing more nothing less like hey i've been paying on my bills this 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 you know for how many god knows how many years and uh, i just need an extension you know for another couple weeks or some shit like that and then if you ain't even got that back pay yet in them couple weeks call them again the day before they uh they expect to pay me like hey i still haven't got one and then if the woman or the man catches an attitude the customer service rep that's when you call and that's when you buy let me speak to your motherfucking supervisor then you kind of act outrate and irate if you can or if you're a woman act as strong you know and they'll keep them utilities on but you also can contact um there's different churches and organizations like the salvation army and then i know here in nebraska there's like lutheran family services they will um pay your uh light bill or your gas and water bill if you have kids um like you're a single parent or some shit like that and even if you ain't a single parent you go on that motherfucker line i don't i don't care you gotta do what you can to keep the lights on y'all hear me say that a million times so you can go to one of those services and um they'll pay your bills for that month so you should be you might be you will be good to go for that month um hopefully this shutdown doesn't last a whole fucking month because that's some bullshit not being paid in a full month and then um don't be embarrassed you can hit a food bank please don't be embarrassed about hitting a food bank shit i remember when i was first out on my own shit i was i was at the food bank shit 
shit, maybe twice a month hitting the food bank, eating fucking good, too. All I had to do was show my driver's license, and uh, that was it. They was like, have you been here before? Nope. And then, boom, you can hit that bitch, I think, twice a month. But if you have kids, you can go more, and they'll give you, give you a whole-ass chicken, a couple rolls of hamburger meat, a bunch of canned food, some bread that's been donated from the, uh, there's some, some bread, donuts, um, cupcakes, all kind of shit that's been donated from the local uh, grocery store that's, uh, that's only that they made yesterday, and they couldn't sell it again once they put it on clearance. So the shit is fine. So don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't do that. That's one of the main things a lot of people be shame-faced and shit like that and trying to save face. Fuck that. Be down there. You got to do what you can right now in this situation. So I feel for y'all. I've been there before a few times, you know, so I know if I lose this shit all the day that I got, I know I can bounce right back and I know how to survive. Um, and so you should have that same mindset too. The main thing is just don't be ashamed. Just be out there grinding and getting it. And if, hey, if you got to pick up a second job at um, goddamn Burger King or some shit or go to Target or some shit like that, do that because you just don't know how long it's going to take. Or you also can hit temp services too. So like on your days off from your federal job, I don't even know why you're still going to work, but it is what it is i guess it's a so-called good job but you see what's happening with the cheeto and chief how he's treating you but anyways you could do temp services and um you know use that skill set that you have to do something similar you know what i'm saying you could just be a receptionist at a at a you know at a office for a day you know for your days off maybe saturday sunday someplace that's open you know you could be you know be a receptionist for like a plumbing uh, business or some shit and then the thing the good thing about uh temp services uh you get paid that next day or the same day they'll load up a visa they do they used to cut you a check but now they'll uh give you a little debit card or whatever it don't have your name on it but they load it up within a within like a couple hours after you done worked your shift and you done turned in your papers so you can do that too so just don't be shamefaced that's that's the toughest thing and i know people are dipping into their savings and that's the whole purpose of having a fuck it fund you heard me say that before um you know you just have to do what you can to get by but do not be ashamed to take a second job don't be ashamed to hit a food bank don't be i'm just saying don't be ashamed to ask for help i don't give a fuck about appearances because i'm gonna tell you something people judging you whether you was getting paid from that federal job and motherfuckers gonna be judging you now so you might as well do what you can you have to be in survival mode so that's what it's all about and this has been episode this has been episode 147 of do rags and boat shoes and as always i have nothing but love and respect for all y'all out there and i will see y'all next week one